You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to our show, The Revealing Retina, presented by the American Retina Foundation, the charitable arm of the ASRS, the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Levitt, Chairman of the American Retina Foundation, and joining me today is Dr. Richard Rosen. Dr. Rosen is a vitreoretinal retinal specialist who is a graduate of the University of Miami School of Medicine. He did his ophthalmology residency and vitreoretinal retinal fellowship at New York Eye and Ear Infirmary. He is surgeon director for the Department of Ophthalmology as well as director of ophthalmic research in the infirmary's Advanced Imaging Center. Welcome to the Revealing Retina, Dr. Rosen. Thank you, Roy. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about ways of looking at the retina. We both know that there are many ways to examine the retina from the direct ophthalmoscope, seeing only the optic nerve macula and central vessels, to indirect ophthalmoscopy, which enabled us to see the entire retina out to the periphery. And also, fluorescein angiography, which enabled us to evaluate the retinal vasculature with fluorescent dye. Now, new technology gives us almost a pathology type of slide view of the layers of the retina in a non-invasive way. And this is called OCT, and I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that now. Sure. Well, OCT has really revolutionized our ability to examine the retina, much like a pathologist would do, but in a, a living patient, in a, a fairly comfortable, very quick kind of examination, which is basically the patient sits in front of the instrument and a, a fairly low-intensity infrared light is used to scan across the retina very rapidly, and it gives us cross-sectional pictures which look very much like microscope slides of the retina. This technology was introduced originally at about 1990 and has continually progressed in terms of the quality of the image and the kind of information that we can see. Currently, the commercial units that are available claim to be at the order of about 5 microns. Now, 5 microns is, is a little bit smaller than a red blood cell. And while we can't actually see details, cellular details, partly because of the movement from just breathing and from the heart rate, we're able to appreciate very fine layers of the retina, which would otherwise be invisible, even to a very close examination with a contact lens at a, at a slit lamp. So a uh, very, very subtle pathology that was otherwise unavailable to us is now part of our everyday armamentarium in terms of treating patients with a whole variety of visual complaints. It's not invasive in the sense that we don't have to inject any kind of dye. It's very similar to ultrasound in that it's basically a reflection. Instead of reflecting sound, it's reflecting light waves. And the kinds of things that we can see are, are traction on the retina, which produces swelling. We can see the earliest signs of a diabetic eye disease, the earliest signs of macular degeneration, and several other more exotic forms of retinal pathology, as well as being able to examine vascular occlusive disease. And it's basically turn the whole examination sort of around, very much the way I would say the, the modern scanners like CAT scans and MRI have done for the general medical practitioner. It's, it's opened up a, a whole range of 
information that very quickly allows us to, to make more sophisticated decisions in terms of patient management. It's almost easier now to scan the patient prior to, to seeing them because we have the information at our fingertips, especially if we know the patient has some new complaints. This particular instrument is one in which the patient sits in front and looks into a small opening and the scan is then done through an undilated pupil? It can be done un through a, an undilated pupil, yes. Oftentimes, if the patient has any sort of lens changes or anything in their visual axis, such as if they've got some blood or some other opacity in the vitreous, it's a little better quality image if the patient's dilated, but most of the instruments will get through a, a pupil about the size of maybe three, four millimeters easily. And the scan then you said was an infrared as opposed to laser? Correct. It's a diode similar to a, a light-emitting diode, an LED that we're used to seeing in various instrument displays. So the amount of exposure of light is very, very low. It's on the order of probably five to 600 microwatts, which is well below anything. And the wavelength, because it's in the infrared, is very safe. What does the physician see on the monitor when a scan is done? The newer instruments actually use a combination of the view that you would get from the ophthalmoscope, sort of a, an on-foss or, or direct view. So you can actually see the fundus, very much like contact lens or indirect ophthalmoscope view. And simultaneous to this, they will see a cross-sectional image, which will show really from the vitreous down into the choroid and all the layers of the retina are readily available. Let's take macular degeneration. Talk about wet macular degeneration where there's actual leakage from the blood vessels. What does this show you in an untreated eye as opposed to an eye which has been treated either with laser or with an injection with an anti-VEGF uh, substance? Okay, well in an untreated eye it will show you the presence of fluid which causes the elevation of the retina. It can show you the presence of blood under the retina or in the retina or actually in the choroid. It shows you, by looking at the profile of the retinal image, you can actually see where the, the particular lesion is, so much so that many practitioners feel comfortable using this instrument in lieu of doing a fluorescein angiogram to diagnose wet macular degeneration. In a treated eye, basically, you will see the reabsorption of the fluid and sort of a return of the more normal profile of the macula, which sort of appears somewhat like a, a Cupid's bow kind of appearance with a little depression at the fovea. And that profile is lost when there's any sort of fluid underneath, which would correspond to area that the patient can't see. So we're actually looking at a, what would be a cross-section through the retina. Correct. And it then shows where the fluid is located, whether it's underneath the uh, layers of the retina or the choroid. Yes, it shows where the fluid is located, and you can actually take measurements, uh, very precise measurements uh, in terms of microns of elevation and thickness of the retina. So then you can use that information to track how successful you are in terms of your treatment. And in following a patient who's been treated for wet macular degeneration, if the fluid has absorbed and then 
comes back on another visit, this is an indication for further treatment, and uh, the OCT is a way to follow this? Yes. It's a, it's a very precise way. It's very easy for the patient because they, they don't have to have an invasive examination. And it lets the doctor know right away what the situation is in terms of the degree of leakage and whether a patient needs retreatment. And in a diabetic patient that has swelling in the macular area, is this uh, OCT useful there? It's very useful. And one of the problems with diabetic patients is because they're, unlike in macular degeneration where it tends to start in one spot, oftentimes in diabetic patients there will be multiple areas that are involved corresponding to different different lesions on different blood vessels. Uh, one of the difficulties that people have had in the past when they first developed photocoagulation for treatment of macular disease was trying to assess whether the retina was swollen or not. We found from the studies that it wasn't so much whether there were, were these edema residues, these hard exudates, as being an indication for treatment, but actually increased thickening of the retina as being a sign that the patient needed treatment. And one of the difficulties would be that assessing that thickness at a level that was early enough and consistent to allow early intervention was something that was difficult to master. And oftentimes, even in a a trained expert, there were certain visual clues that would make it confusing. So if you would see these yellow hard edema residues under the retina, oftentimes people would interpret that as being retinal thickening. In fact, we see now when we do OCTs in those patients that many times there's no fluid at all. And so those patients don't really need photocoagulation and you know, are better served by not, by not treating them. So it's sort of cut back on some of the treatment and, and probably preserved visual function in that way. We've talked about OCT that is in general use now. What is online for improvements in this type of examination? Well, the instruments, aside from improving in the quality of the image by the, the actual size of the units, the resolution, are becoming faster. And one of the great difficulties in terms of resolution is eliminating movement artifact because when you're trying to discern things that are on a micron level, just the heartbeat or the breathing of the patient is enough to make the image a little bit blurry. So the next generation, currently what we're, we're working on is called spectral OCT, which uses a spectrometer to very rapidly interpret the reflections of the light, the next step is going to be fat, broad bandwidth sources of light which will increase the speed probably another order of magnitude. So what that will give us will be better quality in three-dimensional reconstructions of images which will let us study these cross-sections across a much larger area of the retina. Currently what we rely on is individual cross-sections which probably represents about 10 to 20 microns in thickness. So when we see one of these cross-sections, we're looking at a very small slice of the retina. What we would like to be able to do is actually reconstruct a whole block of retina that we can cut through and look at more subtle forms of pathology. And, and that's currently in laboratories around the world. The hang-up at this point is, of course, 
as you develop new technologies, they're very expensive and they have you know various glitches. But very rapidly, these things are being overcome. So I would anticipate probably within another five years, these sources will become readily available and they'll become inexpensive enough that they will be commonplace in our clinics. Dr. Richard Rosen, I'd like to thank you for speaking with us about OCT and retinal imaging. And I'm your host, Dr. Roy Levitt, and I'd like to thank you for listening to The Revealing Retina, presented by the American Retina Foundation. For more information, visit us online at AmericanRetina.org. We welcome your questions and comments about this or any other show. Please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at www.reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and our new podcast features will allow you access to our entire program library. Thank you for listening.